Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Hi, everybody. I'm Catherine Pierce, and I'm the Poet Laureate for the State of Mississippi. Welcome to the Mississippi Poetry Podcast, a podcast where poetry comes alive for listeners. Across the country and world, poets are writing right now and creating vibrant, important poems that enlighten, entertain, challenge, and comfort. Some of these incredible poets are writing right here in Mississippi. Each episode of the Mississippi Poetry Podcast will feature a different poet with Mississippi connections. We'll hear a poem, chat a bit, and maybe learn a fun fact or two. I'm very excited today to welcome Beth Ann Fennelly to the podcast. Beth Ann Fennelly is the former Poet Laureate of Mississippi. I am following in her footsteps. She has won grants from the NEA, United States Artists, and a Fulbright to Brazil. Her sixth book, Heating and Cooling, 52 Micro Memoirs, was an Atlanta Journal-Constitution best book and a good reader's favorite. She lives in Oxford with her husband and her three children. Beth Ann, thank you so much for taking time to talk poems with me today. Absolutely, Katie. Thanks for inviting me and for coming up with this fun podcast idea. It's been a lot of fun for me so far. It's, it's an excuse to talk to interesting people about interesting things. So I love it. So I want to start off with a non-poetry question. I like to include some non-poetry questions in the podcast, partly because I think it's nice to get to know our poets as people a little bit, but also partly just because I think it's fun. So my question for you has to do with desserts. I like desserts a lot. I think desserts are a very important part of my life. So, and I, I think that you might feel the same way. So I would love to know, and after we talk about this, then we'll get back to poetry, but what is the best dessert that you ever ate? Or if that's too hard, what's the best genre of dessert? Oh, let's see. Well, um, I honestly think there's like great high-end desserts and great low-end desserts. Right. I'm thinking particularly of um, a creme brulee I had with my honey um, when we went to Paris where we got engaged. Um, recently, I had a crazy, delicious lemon meringue tart at a restaurant in Birmingham called The Essential. But I would have to say kind of like last meal on the executioner's chair, right. I would go with a warm Toll House cookie. Oh yes. That is, yeah. A, yes. That is yeah. a solid answer. Mm-hmm. And if, if possible, it'd be one that I had made myself. Oh. I know it sounds bad, but I think I make possibly the best chocolate chip cookies in the world, or I just make them to my own taste. Sure. I mean, that counts. you know, um, I have the recipe memorized. Okay. So if zombie apocalypse happened, I could actually recreate them given the ingredients. This would not fall out of human knowledge. Um, I've made many, 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 many batches of all kinds of cookies. I make a mean snickerdoodle. I have a chewy ginger snap that would rock your world, Katie Pierce, but I'm going to go old school with the Toll House chocolate chip cookie, preferably warm. Okay. So now that we have talked about desserts, which is important, what are you going to be reading for us today? So I picked a poem for you guys. That's actually um, older. It's not from my most recent book or two, um, but I was in the mood to read this one because um, it has a little bit to do with, you know, kind of teenagers who might be some of the people who end up listening to your podcast. Um, I actually wrote it when my daughter who is now in college was a toddler. 
And I was loving how much she was loving me and only wanted to be with me and I could do no wrong. And as long as I was there, she was happy. And I had this terrible kind of foreboding slash, you know, future understanding that when she was a teenager, she would hate me because, you know, teenage girls and their moms are, it's kind of tricky. I mean, it's a little bit inevitable. Um, and so I, I imagined what it would be like when she was a teenager. And of course, in real life, we can only move through time as time comes to us. But in poetry, you can jump around to any time period you want. So that's what I did. I started with her as a toddler. And I thought about when she was 16, um, because that's when things were probably at the worst with my mom and I, who are very close now. And the reason why I wrote this poem is because the book I wrote before this was called Tender Hooks, and it was about her being a baby. And when she was an infant, I was writing these poems about her, and I was never thinking of her reading them. You know, how she would never read, of course, she couldn't burp, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, I published the book, and everyone's saying, Oh, what's your daughter going to think about your poems? when she's a teenager and um, it really kind of panicked me. So that that's the impetus behind this. It's called Because People Ask What My Daughter Will Think of My Poems When She's 16. Daughter, the light of the future is apricot and in it you are not the thigh child pointing her earnest index finger to the yellow balloon clearing the willows and drifting higher. You're the balloon. I'm the grasping hand. Or I'm the ooh in balloon. I'll meet you there. I'm the brown strings, formerly violets you didn't water. I'm the hole in the photo. You're the unsafety scissors. I'm the lint in the corners of my purse after you steal the coins. Brown bag lunch you pitch after leaving my house. Buttons you undo after I've okayed your blouse. Poems you burn in the sink. Poems that had to go and use your name. Never mind that soon you'd be 16. Hate your name. I'm the resemblance you deny. Fat butt you hope your boyfriends never see. I'll meet you there. That is my promise and my threat. With this yellow balloon as my witness, even if I'm dead, I'll meet you there. Thank you, Bethann. That's that's just oh, I have, you know, I have two kids myself and they're they're young. They're seven and 11. And I, I think about that too. I think, wow, I've, I've put you in poems, but what do you, I hope you're okay with that someday. I don't really know what that's going to be. So has your daughter read this poem? What does she think about it? Um, well, she hasn't so much talked to me about my work. So I'm just giving her space to, you know, read it if she wants, when she wants, or talk about it when she wants. I know that she knows I've written about her. And when she was really young, she used to love to come to readings in the back. And um, she used to want to sign people's copies of their books. And um, so, you know, I would sign the book and then she'd put her giant slopey handwriting in, you know. Um, But right now, I'm just kind of letting her figure out who she wants to be and what her life is and not trying to um, ask her for her opinion on my life. Yeah, that seems like a... A wise, a wise approach. Um, but I love that poem. I think it's just, it's beautiful and it's funny and it's, 
Perfect. I love it. Um, okay. So another thing I've been asking folks who come on the podcast is what advice would you give to a poet who is starting out or to someone who is already writing poetry, but would like to do more of it, or would like to kind of get a new angle on it. What's some advice you might give to a poet? Yes. Well, I think that poetry happens when sound rises up through the windpipe and exits the mouth and enters into someone else's ear, which is to say, I think poetry is a really oral art form. Eliot said poetry begins with the beating of the drum. And I think it really began, you know, when we were, you know, just crawled out of whatever swamp we came from and lost our little tadpole tails. And we were finding ways to make our, our stories and our myths and our origin tales beautiful and memorable. So we made them rhythmic and that made them more memorable. So I still think we get away from the idea of poetry as oral pleasure at our peril. So I always recommend reading poems aloud, but beyond that, memorizing poems. I think that there's really a lot a beginning writer could learn from memorizing poems that they loved and reciting them aloud. And this is a practice that I have had, uh, I've maintained since graduate school, I still memorize poems and I have a giant binder of um, poems that I've committed to my memory. Sometimes I review them or sometimes they get a little bit rusty, sometimes they don't. Um, but I've learned, I've trained my ear by memorizing poems and um, taking those rhythmic templates um, into my own poetic process. Yeah, I've done that too. And I think that one thing that we don't always think about with, with the idea of memorizing poems is that it can be such a comfort to us to have them, you know, to be able to kind of call on them. When I was in grad school, I memorized um, To His Coy Mistress by Andrew Marvell. And it's pretty long, but it's, it's very rhythmic and it's got the rhyme. And so it, it wasn't that hard to commit to memory. And that's been a long time now. And I call on it in my head when I'm in a stressful situation, like when I'm getting a cavity filled and I can't oh, do wow. to distract myself. I'll yeah. just run through the poem in my head and it gives me something to focus on because I have to think about it a little bit. Yeah. The rhythms are comforting and it's familiar to me. And so, yeah, there's something so kind of magical about having this poem that you can just like pull up at will in your mind and, and think about that. I love that. Thank you. That's, that's a great idea. I should actually memorize more poems. I think I, I think I've let that slip a little bit, so I should be doing that too. Um, yeah, I would say to a student, um, start with a poem that had rhyme, actually, yeah. maybe a sonnet, because the more tightly patterned a poem is, the easier it is to memorize and then move on to other, other length poems, but a 14 line poem with rhyme and internal logic and external structure isn't really all that hard. So write it out by hand and then tape it up a couple places, read it when you brush your teeth, you know, for that hour, I mean, that minute and a half every couple times a day and um, and uh, just see if, if you can take it in and learn from it and see what it has to teach you. Yes, I love that, thank you. All right, and finally, Bethan, where could we find more of your work? If somebody wanted to look you up and read some more stuff by you. Well, you know, I think a lot of the people who are going to be listening to your podcast are Mississippians. So we have the best bookstores in the nation, if you ask me. So my local bookstore is Square Books in Oxford, Mississippi, which has signed copies of my books, including Heating and Cooling. And um, the one I just read from is Unmentionables. And I also have a website, which is www.bethannfennelly.net or .com. Yeah, .com. Sorry. And um there's some 
excerpts there. There's some prompts on how to write. There's reading group guides that have like come by my publisher with my books. And um, that would be a good place for anyone who was interested in, in learning a little bit more. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, so Beth Ann Fennelly, thank you for talking with me today and for sharing your work and your insights about poetry. It's always wonderful to hear from you and to learn from you. And thank you all for listening to the Mississippi Poetry Podcast, where poetry comes alive. <laughs>